Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. First off, a quick thank you to the sponsors of this episode, Lori Bedke and Creighton University. Creighton University believes in equipping physicians for success in the exam room, the operating room, and the boardroom. If you want to increase your business acumen, deepen your leadership knowledge, and earn your seat at the table, Creighton's healthcare executive education is for you. Specifically tailored to busy physicians, our hybrid programs blend the richness of on-campus residencies with the flexibility of online learning. Earn a Creighton University Executive MBA degree in 18 months or complete the non-degree Executive Fellowship in six months. Visit www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E to learn more. My guest in this episode of Explore the Space podcast is Dr. Avi O'Glasser. Dr. O'Glasser is a frequent contributor to Explore the Space. She is a collaborator of mine as well. We've worked on several white papers together, and you can find those on the Explore the Space website, www.explorethespaceshow.com. And we have just released another one, COVID-19 Contributions on a Residency or Fellowship ERAS Application. Now, this is an opportunity for us to really go into the importance and necessity of including the amazing work that people are doing around the COVID-19 pandemic in their applications for residency, for fellowship, for medical school, for professional jobs that you're doing after your training. It was great to speak with Avi about this. She's a real expert in all things related to the curriculum vitae, but more importantly, kind of the philosophy behind it, why these things should be there, why this is an important white paper to put out there. Discussing the hardships that our medical students and residents and fellows are dealing with in the midst of the pandemic, why the inclusion of the activities that they're doing is a form of self-validation and how programs and how employers and how training centers can demonstrate respect and admiration even for the work that's being done by encouraging them to share what they're doing and to share the whole applicant. Avi took the lead on this white paper and she really knocked it out of the park. And I definitely want to say thank you to our other collaborators on this one, Dr. Vinnie Aurora, Dr. Charlie Ray, and Dr. Shika Jane. An absolute treat to get to work with all of them. This white paper is a really good one. We've got a really nice progression going in this white paper space as well. So I would definitely encourage you to go back into those and take a look. Definitely check out the new one. There's links in the show notes. Before we get to the episode, I want to just invite all of you, please do subscribe to Explore the Space Podcast wherever you like to download your shows. Please leave us a rating and a review as well. That really helps the show out. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. You can find me on Twitter at ETS Show and Instagram at Explore the Space Show. Having Avi on Explore the Space is always fun. She is leading in so many different ways. She did an amazing job with this white paper. So without further ado, Dr. Avio Glasser. Avi, welcome back to Explore the Space. Great to have you. Thank you so much for having me back. We got to collaborate again. One of the most fun things to do is these relationships that came out of med Twitter, and now we're all doing these fun collaborations. And we have a new white paper to discuss. This was one that you really drove, and it was a treat to see 
you just grab this and say, let's write this and here's the way I want it to look and here's the question and here's the issue. And I think you absolutely knocked it out of the park. I think this is a really good white paper. COVID-19 contributions on a residency slash fellowship ERAS application. I think you absolutely knocked this out of the park right in the nick of time. What was the spark that made you say, I'm going to write this and I'm going to smash it? Well, I, I appreciate the compliments, and, and this really was a team effort. You talked about uh, building teams, building collaborations through and on and off Med Twitter, and I think this is just another example of that. And it also built on work that we had done, that other colleagues and friends of ours had done, and the time seemed ripe to just merge um, the white paper that we released about a year ago, exactly encouraging students on their ERAS application to include novel or non-traditional contributions, scholarly contributions, leadership contributions, and then the work that you and Charlie Ray and Chicka Jane and Vinnie Aurora put out this spring entitled COVID-19 Contributions on the Professional CV. So I see this as the merging of those two important pieces, um, that we have a lot of medical students, thousands of medical students, as well as residents or, or graduates of residencies applying for fellowship who are entering a very, very different application and recruitment season, and that there's uh, all the more anxiety and stress this year compared to other years in a process that is already inherently very stressful, and that there are amazing contributions and uh, novel contributions and flexing of muscles being done, and that, uh, that we should be helping people celebrate themselves and champion themselves and articulate the impact and reach of the work that they're doing. For me, when we started this project and, you know, you sent us the problem statement, that's the integral part of a white paper that frames the issue. Obviously, there's links to the white paper in the show notes. It's on the Explore the Space website. It's on the Women in Medicine website. And we're obviously going to be sharing it on social media. So I really want people to go in and take a look at that. The the critical piece here, and I, it took me back to when I was applying for residency and the categories that they give you. This is basically a category almost unto itself. It can fit anywhere, but we have all been absolutely overturned and our profession is being overhauled by COVID-19. Medical students are rising to the occasion in incredible ways that no one could have ever anticipated. Residents are doing the same thing. It seems like it's really important to give them that nudge, though, to say, look, they're not asking for it specifically. That's not because they don't want to see it. It's because this application probably hasn't changed much in a couple of generations. And to get something, to get a new category on that website is probably going to take a bunch of levers that you and I are not able to pull. But this stuff does still need to be there. Absolutely. And uh, it's it's stuff that both needs to be there. And one of the things that we really uh, aim to include was ways to create a space to create an entry for stuff that was not going to be there or was not going to fit on a traditional application. And by this, I mean the, the impact of, of COVID-19 on the inability to present a poster, the inability to deliver a conference presentation, the inability to complete a research project. As we've, we've sat here and talked and as we've worked through the project, I almost think the analogy of pertinent positives and pertinent negatives when you take a medical history is applicable. There's the stuff that is so clearly there. It's published. It's a line item on a CV. You've gotten an award for it. You completed a term of service for a leadership position 
position or or you can say your name was on a committee. But how do we articulate what's what's not there? How do we know to articulate what didn't reach fruition? And I think that's as important in the age of COVID to be able to articulate uh, the work that didn't reach the, the goal endpoint as well as the new and unexpected that that did happen, that did materialize. And honestly, given the time frame we're talking about, we're, what, under four or five solid months of dealing with this pandemic in the United States. Anything that is uh, completed and can get entered on ERAS was accomplished in a very short amount of time and probably in the setting of other constrained resources or significant stressors. So I think you've hit on a couple of critical pieces there. One, obviously, we were all in agreement that if there are things that you had done, that things that they were ready to go, things that were scheduled that got canceled, that absolutely belongs. You should absolutely be able to discuss it in an interview, and everyone can stand behind that work. I do also like this idea of the crucible in which this work was done. And when we look at the many thousands of medical students, the many thousands of residents and the incredible ways that they have stepped up, medical students graduated medical school early to go and start seeing patients. Residents basically had their entire training overturned and became COVID centric clinical work. This is unprecedented stuff. This hasn't happened before, certainly not in recent memory. And to give people that space to not just include it for the sake of doing it, but I feel like, and I'm curious to know your thoughts, because we actually haven't discussed this piece of it. I think there's that sense of validation and a sense of achievement and self-recognition that, you know what? I did this. I was a critical piece in this huge movement, and I will continue to do it. I'm proud of that. I want to talk about it when I apply. This is part of my mission, and it needs to be here. I think that's a fantastic point. I think you're spot on with that. I think uh, anyone that I've talked to in the health professions, friends, colleagues, associates, in the last few months, there has been a whole spectrum of positive and negative emotions. And I think it's been tough that any time someone has something positive to share or celebrate, there's a lot of, in my experience, there's been a lot of mixed emotion that have come with it. Imposter syndrome, uh, survivor's guilt, someone in a state that was initially not hit hard uh, may have had significant feelings of guilt that they weren't being as affected as their colleagues in New York or that they were sitting home off rotations, maybe even caring for children, but it felt like they weren't doing enough. And I think this gives people a mouthpiece. This gives people a structure to say that you did something. And yes, as the word you use to validate it, to help people articulate and to gain that self-recognition. Because it's been a roller coaster the last few months. So the past tense is important. I agree with you. But I think it's also important that we give the proper context. It's the current and it will be the future. So our, all of our medical students, all of our residents, they're all going to continue to be in this place. So I think the next piece of this in terms of mindset is to just take it on board and, and normalize it. These things putting canceled presentations, putting virtual conversations, the things that we know people have created, even though they weren't able to do clinical work, whether it's gathering PPE, starting organizations for babysitting, providing food and shelter in in these organized ways, mobilizing people on social media, creating Mm -hmm. podcasts, doing all these sorts of things are now becoming normalized. And it is, we should just never take that for granted. And one of the ways that I think we as leaders in 
healthcare can show that we're not taking this for granted. We don't expect this. We admire it. And we know how critically important it is for the safety and well-being of our societies and our communities. This is how we can acknowledge it by saying we want this here. We need to know what you're doing. So not only can we ask you about it, but we can also say thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I will wholeheartedly second that. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> See, this is why we work on these projects together because that's have, right. This is our mission-based, right. our mission-based advocacy for no, students. That's right. What is your mindset? Because you obviously are a part of bringing medical students through and doing a lot of mentorship and helping people prepare for interviews and write statements and write applications. The the importance of having something in your application that sets you apart. I think it depends. I think the, the phrase, something that sets you apart, is a really broad phrase. And I'm not trying to just nitpick, nitpick how you phrase that question. Um, nitpick away. I said it. I'll own it. <laughs> you can push back. Please um, do. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take myself back to my, when I was in high school and applying for college. And, and my very, very wise guidance counselor started talking about quantity versus quality on, on the the common application, I think. And uh, I think, I think my parents were concerned that I wasn't listing enough things or, or was that a concern? And this very wise guidance counselor said, it's, it's better, better to look committed and engaged in something than to look like a serial joiner. That, uh, that creating a narrative of contribution and investment uh, and really, really active participation, uh, especially one that's sustained, can paint a bigger narrative of who you are as an applicant than a laundry list of clubs and organizations where in reality there aren't enough hours in a day to do all these things. And I think that that advice has carried me very far in life. And I, you know, I still take that to heart when I look at applications myself that, or when I mentor students, some people say, I just don't have enough things on my application. And I counter with the question, but, but how robust were the things that you are including on your application? And I think that's what then sets someone apart. If the ERS application radiates a intentional, sustained, meaningful contribution to something that catches my attention. And honestly, sometimes sometimes the really long applications that are just entry, 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 but there's not a robust description or it's one hour a week um, rather than like five hours a week. I wonder, was that participation sustainable? What does it tell me about them as a unique applicant, if that makes sense. I, I come from a program where I have a lot of mentorship myself to conduct what's called the holistic review, where the, the, the application package is taken as a whole. And it's not just the step one score, or it's not just the class rank. Um, it's not just were you an AOA or were you class president, um, but looking at everything as a sum total. And there's, I think there's synergy between parts of an application. Do I see this narrative? Do I see it come through the letters of recommendation and the personal statement? 
I have a, a mentor who who talks about you know, yes, you can see the spark. Uh, you can see someone's passion for a chosen specialty come through an application. And sometimes it's through their service work and sometimes it's through their research. And sometimes it's through the very authentic story that's in the personal statement. Um, or sometimes it's just little things that that build together. So in terms of setting somebody apart, uh, there's not one thing that I would say is I'm looking for that as the secret sauce. Um, but sometimes that that ability to truly articulate who you are, what has driven you to ex- this career pathway and to explore this career pathways through your extracurriculars as a student is what stands out. So having taken all of that on board and heard you, what I will say back to you is that mindset that you're laying out is going to encourage people to apply to your program. That is the most sophisticated take on what an application can do for a candidate that I've heard in a while, if ever. And if I was, I'm taking myself back to when I was an undergrad at UCLA and when I was a medical student at Baylor, I would have wanted to go to that program that says, we want to see what Mark is about. This is a, this is a different application. There's a bunch of stuff on here. There's sports writing. What is this? Why is this here? He's a history major. This is nonsense. No, it's, there's something here. Let's see if we can piece that together and see if this is going to be the kind of person that would add to our community and that we could help elevate. That is really exciting. And what I would submit is for programs to take what you just said on board, acknowledging that recruiting is also very strange now and has been totally upended. That's powerful. Indeed. That is how you will get really interesting, unique, talented candidates coming to you to say, take a look. And I will agree that this is, I don't want to paint an overly rosy or jaded picture that there are probably a lot of programs that that don't have that as their core uh, approach to recruitment season. Um, there's a lot of discussion even before COVID on the challenges of the holistic review or using board scores, especially as step one is, is very close to going right. past fail. And this is even before the challenges of sitting for step one or step two in the last four or five months. So I think a lot of the debate and discussion about what needs to be weighted differently on the ERAS application, and this is across lots of different specialties who are looking for different things, who have different structures to the residency program. So making it a one-size-fits-all model, is I'm not asking for that, and I don't think that's appropriate. But there was already discussion about shaking up the application process when you have schools that write very different types of dean's letters. So the dean's letter is really the cover letter for the application. (laughs) And when you have some programs, some medical schools that have completely gone away with grades and other schools that do use grades, it's very hard to compare apples to oranges. And I think that's why, why some programs do rely heavily on something like a step score. Doesn't make it right doesn't it makes it an is but i think there was already a huge discussion about what can we do to shake this up do we in, do we impose an application max so that program directors are getting fewer applications so that they can review each one in more depth um, and you can see how this really all started a snowball with people applying i mean the number of programs that people apply to sometimes approaches 100 right so, right right it was already feeling like a broken system, a non-sustainable system, and then COVID happened. So, and honestly, there's of the banter of what good 
if anything will come out, what long-term good will come out of the response to COVID? I'm not saying good will come from COVID. Long-term change that will come from the response to COVID, um, the shaking up of the application to residency program cycle is on, seems to be on that list. That's interesting to hear. I will I will admit that you mentioned something that I hadn't thought about for a while. And when you said it, it made me kind of chuckle to myself. The dean's letter. I remember learning about the significance of the dean's letter and learning to understand the the like enigma code breaking level of yeah. the words that are used in it, the special code that's in it that describes the student and how they kind of stratify people in that letter and just rolling my eyes when I learned that. And so when you met, I hadn't thought about a dean's letter for, for some time. And so that just <laughs> made me smile. Yes. So I don't, I don't feel like I know I have the answer. I think this is going to take a lot of very smart people collaborating on what this change will look like, not just after this application that that we will get our, get ourselves through. Um, But as someone who really wants to champion learners to, to articulate their impact and reach um, in novel ways, uh, pre COVID, post COVID, that this work that we've done is is part of my mission-driven work to continue to change the conversation and drive the conversation increasingly forward the ho- in support of the holistic review. I think that you're going to be borne out to be correct. Obviously, we're just a few months into this. We're all just learning it. But I think you can at the same time champion the applicant and you can also champion the program by doing the same thing. And I think that this white paper sort of rolls all that up. I will just say as just a brief aside for anyone who may be listening or who reads this, who is not applying for a residency or applying for uh, medical school or anything like that or using the ERS application, the COVID contributions belong on your seat. TV as well. There's some Explore the Space episodes that we've talked about this. And I shared a story from a few months ago where we ended up hiring somebody who had not included some of their COVID contributions on their CV. But when it came up, it was a huge differentiator and it demonstrated a skill set that was very appealing. After we were able to validate it with their references, it made it very clear that this is someone that we would like to have in our program. So these sorts of things are widely applicable. If you're doing the work, you should share the work for sure. Agree. Absolutely agree. So now we we have this out. Medical students will see it. Residents will see it. What is your gestalt of how this will become normalized or will it be rejected or somewhere in between? I think it will be somewhere in between. And and to be even to be on the optimistic side, I, I hope it'll be well received. I can't see it being poorly received. Again, these are students who themselves were living through the early stages of a global pandemic that has completely disrupted our society, and trying to still be a student and trying to make that pivotal um, transition from third year to fourth year, which is a huge condensed period of professional development and locking in a, a specialty choice. Um, and I think anyone who is who uses the ERAS application or the entire application to articulate the ways in which they maximize their role as a medical student, as a member, a junior member of the health professions, get it on your application. And honestly, if there's a residency program that scoffs at it, then that's not the program to support you through your three to five to seven, however many years of training. And we've talked about that theme on 
one of our prior episodes together about social media, the question of do you put social media-based uh, activity, especially advocacy, on uh, an ERAS application, a residency application, on the chance that your advocacy position does not match with a residency program? And I said, if you feel that you have to be so silent about your advocacy position to risk not matching for residency, residency is stressful enough. Don't go to that program. Find the program that's the better match for you. So I hope that by using the ERAS, the, the template of the ERAS application to articulate the work that you did, that a student did, that that might actually help them find the best residency match for them. I agree with almost everything you said, except for the somewhere in the middle part. I actually think that this is way out in front of something that's going to become normalized pretty quickly because it's such a huge part of everybody's life now. I think that it's going to be very quickly recognized that these sorts of things need to be formalized. And I think one of the reasons I was so excited about being able to do this with you and with Shika and Charlie and Vinny is... I think that this idea is out in front and that's really exciting. You and I've talked a lot about tempo and yeah. I think it's very compelling. And I think that this is, I may be wrong and that's okay, but I think that, I think that this is an, a vanguard type of work that I think is very exciting. And it was a total treat to do it. Obviously to get to work with people who I look at as the titans of what we're doing, you and Shika Jane and Charlie Ray and Vinnie Aurora. It's very, very exciting. It is. There, it's just been wonderful to get to know this group through uh, common passions and interests. And we've named the group and now. We have named the group. So instead of just referring to ourselves as the white paper group, um, this is now... <laughs> I didn't know we did that. We've done... Um, this is the fourth one. <laughs> I think that was how we were abbreviating it in text messages <laughs> and emails. I think somebody then finally said, I think we should officially name ourselves so that we can refer to ourselves That's right. in, the, in the collective and not just rattle off five names. So if you include, so this is the third full white paper. If you include the COVID contributions to the professional CV, and as listed on your website and the Women in Medicine's uh, Summit website, uh, there's four pieces that we've put out on this broad theme. How do you are? How do you seize a CV template and articulate things that have not historically had a place there? So we are calling ourselves the Advanced Group, uh, Advancing Vitae and Novel Contributions for Everyone Group. And we, I think we will just have to see what other questions come our way that we will try to answer and create structure and framework for it and will and, and advocate for people being able to express the work that they're doing. There will be more questions and it will be fun to put heads together and try to come up with reasonable and rational insights and thoughts. So given that, how do people find you if they want to send you a question, some feedback? How do people find you and connect with you? Probably the best way to find me is through Twitter. I am uh, at A.O. Glasser. So first initial, last name, no punctuation marks. I do try to be very accessible, especially for trainees on the platform. Um, that is why I'm on the Med Twitter space uh, publicly uh, in a professional capacity. This is my professional account. This is not my private account. Um, so that's where I would go. 
We will have all of those good links in the show notes, obviously links to the article as well. We'll be discussing it on Twitter going forward, always open to new ideas. If people have things that they would like the advanced group to put some thought into, we're always interested in hearing about that as well. Avi, it's great to have you on the show. This is, it's become an old hat for you. We'll find another opportunity too, but great to collaborate and great to have you back on Explore the Space. Indeed. Thank you so much. My thanks once again to Dr. Avi O'Glasser for joining us on Explore the Space podcast. Always a treat to have her on. And this white paper is an important document and a very, very exciting document. Thanks again to our co-collaborators, Dr. Shika Jane, Dr. Vinnie Aurora, and Dr. Charlie Ray. And thanks once again to the sponsors of this episode, Lori Bedke and Creighton University. Learn more about Creighton's Executive MBA and Executive Fellowship programs at www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E. Most of all, thank you to you, my listeners, for checking out this episode. Always appreciate your support. Always appreciate your feedback. Glad you are enjoying what you're hearing here. Please share it. Please dive into the archive and take a look around as well. We will be back with more content soon, so hope you are able to subscribe and we will keep it coming. In the meantime, please wear your masks. Make sure you wash your hands. Maintain physical distancing. Take good care of yourselves. We will see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com. Explore the Space.